Is there a war on truth by Canada's military? It certainly appears so, according to a recent report which found the Canadian Forces Public Affairs Branch was paying over $1 million for training and the use of propaganda to influence public opinion. The company providing that was spawned off of Cambridge Analytica, the same one involved in the 2016 U.S. election and the Brexit vote. Hello and welcome to the Unpublished TV. I'm Ed Hand, your host for tonight's panel discussion. Our topic tonight Canada's military and why it saw the need to use propaganda and technology to influence Canadians. However you're watching and listening to our show, whether through our social media channels on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, or on our podcast channels, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more, I'd like to remind you, you can still cast your vote on this topic at unpublished.vote and then email your MP to tell them why. Now, the question, should the Canadian military be able to use propaganda to influence Canadians regarding public policy? And our viewers and listeners overwhelmingly said no. 96.2% said no. Just uh, just under 3% said yes. At unpublished.vote, you will find our podcast on this issue, as well as other articles and opinion pieces and research on the various views on Canada's military using propaganda on Canadians. So let's get started. Joining us this evening, Emma Bryant is a visiting research associate in human rights at Bard College in New York. David Berkison is professor of military and diplomatic history at the University of Calgary. Marcus Kolga is a senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute and founder of DisinfoWatch. And Dave Scanlon is a retired Navy captain, former senior public affairs officer, 30-plus years in the military. And I want to thank our guests for showing up on the show tonight. We'll start with uh, you first off, Dave. And, you know, 30 years in PR. Did you ever have to use misinformation? No. Um, and I'd correct you there. 30 years in public affairs. Yeah. Uh, public relations was a term that we used in the 50s and the 60s. And in the 50s and the 60s, the role of a public relations officer was to sell their service, to sell the Army, Navy, Air Force, uh, and to defend them against criticism, frankly. Uh, we kind of moved out of that, that, that style after the Glasgow Commission in the 60s. And as we got into the 80s and 90s, uh, our doctrine became pretty strict. And our doctrine was about uh, truthful, timely, accurate information, promoting transparency, promoting accountability. Uh, and that's kind of where, where, where I was at through most, most of my career. So, no, if I talk to you, I talk to somebody, you were getting the straight goods. Mm -hmm. it, I would be lying to say that I, there wasn't some advocacy. Obviously, I spent my life with the Navy and the, and the Armed Forces. So there might be, you know, an element of advocacy there. But my job, ultimately, is to promote informed public debate and help Canadian citizens make up their own minds. But my job is also to commu communicate to other audiences. Right. We're not just talking friendly Canadian audiences. We're talking mm -hmm. bad actors. And when, when a public affairs spokesperson, spokesperson goes out in Afghanistan, in Bosnia, in Libya, uh, and they say we're about to bomb you in Tripoli. That was a Canadian spokesperson, a public affairs officer who led a public information uh, in the Libya campaign. Uh, when he spoke, he had to be credible. And the other side had to know that when he spoke, that uh, his words were going to uh, be, you know, responded to result in actions tangible actions. So no, in answer to your question, no, my job was not to spin, not to, not to lie. And I, I would never seek to misinform for, for a couple of reasons. Uh, your, your trust in me would be broken immediately when you found out that I hadn't to, told you the truth. And I would be jeopardizing public trust. Uh, and public trust is ultimately what it's all about. And that's kind of what the conversation here we're having about right yeah. now is, 
is are we as an institution, it became forces eroding public trust because the public are now going, wait a second, you guys are going to use this strategic communication stuff and these influence techs on us in Canada. What's that about? Okay, David, what, what do you think about that? Uh, I, I agree completely. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I was just shocked when I read the, the, the story. Um, the use of the word propaganda really puts me off. I completely support the whole idea of the public affairs that is being done uh, by the Canadian Forces and by the Department of National Defence. I worked with PA officers for many, many, many years. Uh, they've always been straight people. Uh, as one of the things I liked about the public affairs branch is that uh, they believe that their, their mandate is to tell the truth or as much of the truth as they are allowed to tell given operational security and, uh, and uh, issues like that. Uh, but not to propagandize. I mean, Canadians don't need to be propagandized about their military. I think Canadians have pretty, a pretty high impression of their military anyway. And uh, it's been a long, long time since the early 90s that we had any real problems with the military, with the Somalia affair. Um, and so I, you know, I just don't understand why someone would take the chance to alienate people by using the word propaganda. I mean, what does that mean? Uh, where does public affairs end and propaganda begin? Well, I think can, you know it when you see it. Um, we don't need it. And uh, I wouldn't like to see it. And I think I'm as pro-military preparedness as anybody in this country and not for me. Emma, you broke the story about Canada's military and its its training. You say governments are failing us. How so? Well, um, you know, I mean, all all countries around the world at the moment are tackling this issue of disinformation, and democracies are, you know, um, experiencing an onslaught, um, uh, both domestically, but also from, you know, um, uh, threats, uh, international threats such as China, Russia, Iran. You know, there are a lot of different sources out there of, of um, what we're calling propaganda. Um, and, you know, militaries have to respond to this. Um, and we're not in the same information environment we were 20 years ago. Um, where we're talking about, you know, um, the Gulf War and so on. Um, you know, information travels around the world in, you know, seconds, uh, instantly. Um, and how do you deal with that in the domestic context? This is a problem for militaries around the world. Um, and I would say that the issue when it comes to Canada is that um, its strategic communications plans um, have not been developed um, as... as um, uh, in, in as um, robust a way um, in recent times as they should have been. Um, these are issues that no democracy should be having, <laughs> frankly. Mm -hmm. um, it, public affairs is meant to be about informing citizens about the actions of government. And um, to instigate an, an actual robust com uh, strategic communication plan where you have um, you know, responses to foreign threats um, and you have, you know, the the need to communicate what you're doing as a military to domestic citizens. And you have to maybe sort of balance um, how much you can say to the domestic citizens against what your what your plans are strategically um, in in relation to threats. Um, this is a complex thing, especially in the um, 
modern information environment. Um, and, you know, foreign actors are very keen to operate in that domestic space. Um, but how you respond to that as a democracy is crucial because democracies have a hell of a lot more to lose by breaking the rules. Mm -hmm. And any good strategic communication strategy isn't about uh, deploying the same kinds of um, methodologies as supposedly innovative <laughs> or, um, you know, allowing us flexibility against our own citizens. Actually, if you're doing that, you've lost the battle. Marcus, uh, is there a time and place where behavioral modifications, the things that uh, the company from Cambridge Analytica was teaching, would that be used on the Canadian public? Is there a time and place for that? Um, I, I can't think of a single moment when that sort of uh, a tactic and strategy should be used on the Canadian public. Um, surely, you know, scraping social media um, to gather some sort of situational awareness um, to uh, understand the mood, uh, you know, as the, the Canadian military did just recently uh, during the, uh, the pandemic in, in the uh, spring and summer when uh, our long-term care facilities required their assistance. You know, they, they wanted to know what the mood was like in Ontario at the time, and that makes perfect sense in order to set up a strategic communications plan. Um, I just want to pick up the, what, on, on what Emma said about strategic communications, and she's absolutely right. Canada is uh, ill-prepared for the ongoing information warfare that is, uh, that's happening. Um, our military is constantly facing propaganda attacks. Uh, certainly our enhanced, enhanced forward presence uh, mission in Latvia. Um, our troops have been targeted there during the COVID crisis. There was uh, disinformation that was being spread in the Russian language media in Latvia. Um, suggesting that our troops were uh, all sick with COVID and that they would be sped spreading it to the local population. Uh, there was an earlier story uh, that used uh, our defense minister, Harjit Sajjan, um, and the fact that he wears a turban. And the Russian language media in Latvia suggested that he was leading a jihadist army to take over Latvia. Another story um, had a picture of uh, Russell Williams, convicted uh, um, uh, uh, yeah. sex offender and 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 killer um he was wearing women's lingerie and the article suggested that he was leading a gay army to take over latvia um these are the sorts of threats that we face and those sorts of narratives uh, undermine uh, local uh, trust in in our mission there and in our forces so um you know some training for sure is required and i'm sure you know uh, both Dave and David can attest to this. I mean, we need to fight back in those sorts of theaters where we're facing uh, f uh, foreign adversaries and disinformation. And that goes for foreign disinformation that's attacking us here in Canada as well about uh, our forces. The Russian media has uh, clearly tried to plant stories uh, in Canadian media as well about uh, Latvia, about Ukrainians that is uh, intended to uh, undermine Canada's missions in those countries. So there is a place for counter-propaganda, but it certainly isn't, uh, there isn't a place for it when it targets our own citizens. No, on our home soil. Let's uh, let's just pick up, uh, Dave, on, on information warfare and, and the mindset. Where, where, where does public affairs have to, I guess, change their tact right now? Well, the uh, I agree with everybody's saying here, mm -hmm. and we face an entire spectrum here, right? Uh, a spectrum of information warfare and cyber warfare. So General John Vance, the chief of defense staff, when he's thinking about this threat, he's not thinking about just public affairs. 
he's thinking about the full spectrum. And he's thinking about the ability of the armed forces to operate in places like Iraq and in against a threat that can trend that whole whole spectrum. All right. So that 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 makes logical sense. If you're talking purely about public affairs, that's one piece of it. You still need that credible way to communicate. And, and by the way, the majority of information we put out is factual, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not easy. You know, if you're going to put the front page of the New York Times out there, or the front page of uh, The Economist, there's a lot of thinking that goes into what information you put out, even factual information. And so you need a robust, capable organization that's good at doing that. But you also need other capabilities if you're going to be in places like Latvia or in places like uh, Iraq. Uh, but I would, I would kind of put emphasis on the fact that this is not just a military issue. This is a whole of government issue. If you're really going to tackle disinformation, you can't have the military over here in their corner, corner fighting information warfare. It's got to be a whole, whole of govern, government uh, thing. The other thing I, I'd say is about the public affairs side. I was kind of thinking about this earlier. Um, you know, I don't know if any Dirty Harry uh, fans there. Clint Eastwood used to mm-hmm. do the Dirty Harry movies. And, and the idea was for the cops to fight the bad guys, you had to have really bad cops, right? And that's kind of the temptation we're seeing right now in the disinformation environment is that some think, hey, you know, if we're going to compete in this environment, we have to be as good as they are at doing it. And that's that's a slippery, a slippery slope. Um, but another point, just just mm-hmm. put an accent on here is I, I was just looking doing some research on public relations back, you know, in the 50s and 60s. And I noticed that the 64 white paper talks about the major threat to Canada being from the air. This is inter, inter, uh, you know, intercontinental ballistic missiles and so on and so forth. Today, if you ask generals what they think the biggest threat is, uh, they believe that future wars will be won and lost in the information space. And the, the terminology they have for this now is uh, operations in the information environment. And, and that is a, is a major and legitimate concern. And the Canadian forces rightly should be focused on that. And Canadian defense policy is rightly focused on that. Uh, David, we've got a uh, we've got a question coming in from uh, one of our Facebook viewers right now. Should Canada use propaganda to counter propaganda, even in foreign countries, when our credibility is based on our honesty? I don't believe that, um, and and I want to say also that I don't think it's a role the the role that Dave is talking about. I don't think it's a role for the armed forces. It's a role for the communication security establishment, for example. It's a role for some special agency that's going to engage in information warfare on behalf of, on behalf of Canadians, uh, but not a role for the military. I mean, what the military does, in my opinion, is it, it, it fights wars, it prepares to fight wars, it trains to fight wars. We've done a lot of work in this country since the mid-90s in producing one of the finest officer corps in the world, a very highly educated officer corps. Uh, we had people in this country during the uh, during our operations in Afghanistan that were trying to pin the label of war, crim- war criminals on our soldiers with no evidence whatsoever. But it wasn't up to the military to try to rebut that. It, in my opinion, it was up to the government to say, look, uh, you know, we've looked at this, we've examined this, We've looked at your evidence. We don't believe it. It's full of BS. And uh, our soldiers there are not committing war crimes. And I think it's the same thing when we get this kind of propaganda uh, in in the uh, Baltic region uh, for a a government agency to say, well, no, you know, this is not going on. 
Arjit Singh is not a secret agent of the of the COVID uh, forces. And uh, but I don't think that's for the for the military to do. I think the military's job is very straightforward. It's much more complex today than it was 20 or 30 years ago for a lot of reasons. But I don't think it's up to the military to do it. It's uh, I think it's, it's just very simple. I think we need mm -hmm. a special agency to do it or we need CSE to do it or some branch of CSE to do it. Uh, Emma, the, offer, okay, jump in, Dave. Offer one quick comment? Yeah. Sure. Agree with David, whole of government. The only thing I would say is the Canadian forces still need the ability to integrate with coalition NATO forces overseas. And they have STRATCOM constructs and uh, information operation constructs, which we need to be able to integrate into. So we need some better, but in principle, I agree with what David is saying. That is a whole government uh, issue. Uh, Emma, the, the method uh, behavior modification, is it even effective? Like, I know we've seen the 2016 in the Brexit. Sorry. Uh, so I want to clearly distinguish here the methodology that was being taught um, by EMIC and mm. that was a methodology of Cambridge Analytica's parent company, SCL, um, who the um, staff of EMIC previously worked for, and the methodology that was deployed by uh, Cambridge Analytica in American elections. Um, Cambridge Analytica's methodology was specifically using um, social media data. Mm. Um, the SCL methodology, uh, known as behavioral dynamics, um, and which was being trained to the Canadian forces, is a different methodology. This is about behavioral modification, but it is uh, utilizing a range of data that isn't necessarily uh, social media data. And uh, it's more about techniques of behavioral change. So I would say it's actually more sophisticated than what Cambridge Analytica were trying to do, which was um, modeling uh, social media data based on personality traits, which actually isn't very useful in a um, in the context of warfare um, and I would say though it's not more um, it, it, I would say that it's still a very um, unethical thing to be training uh, public affairs staff with this particular methodology and the um, British military had tested it twice and failed to prove that it was effective so the Canadian military <laughs> both paid a million dollars for something that may not even work to train their forces, but also hired uh, people from the parent company of Cambridge Analytica who had deployed this same methodology very unethically in, in elections. So um, there are a lot of problems with this particular company, uh, com conflicts of interest and all sorts of issues. Um, the Senate Intelligence Committee in the United States actually uh, produced a report a couple of months ago, uh, which stated that Cambridge Analytica and SCL um, had interconnected uh, staffing. Um, and, uh, you know, highlighted the data issues uh, between these companies. So the defense um, side of, of, of SCL, you know, the group of companies of which Cambridge Analytica were a part, were under active investigation. And I think that's really important to emphasize, yeah. particularly as that same Senate Intelligence Report, now that's a, a mm -hmm. Republican-led Senate, <laughs> um, also concluded that um, there was a, a degree of intersection between um, 
Cambridge Analytica and SCL and, um, uh, and, and Russian intelligence services. So I think the fact that um, you know, the Canadian military not only has, you know, this rash of, of concerning incidents um, that's taken place, but also didn't seem to have done due diligence enough to say, well, actually, maybe we'll wait until all these investigations have been resolved. And we definitely know that uh, this company is fine. Yeah, that <laughs> would have been handy. Giving them a million dollars. And by the way, they hired them twice, you yeah. know, so... <laughs> I think this raises real big problems when it comes to training. Um, and, and uh, you know, Dave emphasized the importance of training. And I absolutely agree. Um, and, and also, Marcus, um, training is hugely important. And I think that's that's the issue here is is um, is, is that uh, I don't think we can have faith in this in the training that's been done. And considering, you know, Canadians have paid so much money for training, very few public affairs people. And by the way, this was public affairs individuals who were being trained, yes. not influence operations. And this is a method for psyops that was utilized uh, around the world um, for psyop. I think this raises real, real problems. And I think um, Canada needs to invest in proper, um, proper training for its staff. And actually, I think the best people to be training Canadian public affairs are experienced Canadian public affairs officers. Why uh, is Canada not building its own training facilities rather than hiring companies for exorbitant amounts of money who may not even have some, you know, innovative methodology in the, that, that they're claiming to? Now, now, Marcus, uh, one other angle in that that the report we're discussing here is collecting information on on reporters, like creating a bit of a, a media chill. And I think it was Murray Brewster was highlighted clearly in that. Uh, what concerns do you have about that? Like we all know, and, and Dave, you mentioned it about, you know, reporters and, and public affairs, you know, working it back and forth. But, you know, when you're starting to collect information on reporters for whatever reason, that's... That's just not right. No, you know, absolutely. Uh, I think that a lot of public affairs, and I'm, you know, I think Dave would be better off answering this. But my sense is that public affairs, whether you're in the where in the in the public sector or private sector, um, but when you're working on public relations, I mean, you're going to want to keep some information about the reporters that you're uh, you're in touch with and you're communicating with, um, the various beats of these uh, these reporters, and certainly uh, the biases. I mean, all journalists, professional journalists, don't try not to have a bias, but everyone has their biases. So keeping that sort of basic information, to me, is, is not a big deal. But um, getting any further deeper into it, that would be a, a, a fairly deep concern. Um, you know, just picking up a bit on what Emma was saying, um, you know, we... Our government here in Canada, the, they just released a report in March. The uh, National Security and Intelligence Committee, this is an all-party committee mm. of parliament, in March of this year, unfortunately, it got buried by uh, COVID, but they identified uh, that information operations and propaganda were among the most serious threats coming from Russia and China that our democracy and society face today. Um, and it was a 200-page report that basically outlined this threat in great detail using information from CSE and, and CSIS and other agencies. We have not yet, since the previous uh, 2019 election, we have not put in place any measures to address this threat whatsoever. 
there's a, a group within global affairs that monitors disinformation, but that the inf- disinformation attacks that they're monitoring, they're not going anywhere. They're, they're ending up in a black hole. There's a G7 rapid reaction group, but Canadians themselves are not aware. We're in the dark and the government is not spending uh, any, I mean, they may be spending some t- resources thinking about it, but there is no concrete action that's happening. And some of what I'm seeing at Disinfo Watch, you know, if you scratch beneath the surface, you know, we've all talked about Chinese and Russian disinformation, the kind that we saw in 2016 before the presidential election. It's, it's different now. Um, it's far more sinister. Uh, what they're doing is they're, they're using these COVID narratives and conspiracy theory narratives to further polarize us. And one of the things that I'm really concerned about with this specific story is that it is like crack cocaine to conspiracy theorists. The fact that the governments and our armed forces might be uh, setting up a a propaganda operation to deceive Canadians is what feeds into these QAnon types of conspiracies. And those are the types of uh, narratives that we're seeing, as I said before, pushing an already polarized population right now. We're seeing it in the United States. It's pushing the left further to the left, the right further to the right. And that's where we're going to see conflict. And what's sort of ironic in all of that is that we may see down the road a need, like we've seen in the U.S. over the past three to four months, where there's a conflict and a violent conflict where we may need the the forces to step in. Um, But like I said, the government right now isn't doing anything. So anything that we can be doing to train, whether it's Mm -hmm. within our forces or within our government, setting up some sort of infrastructure to deal with the problem, that's what we need to be doing right now. Dave, I, I am wondering, is public affairs valued by the Canadian military? Would rather it disband it? Because just sort of following up what David had said is maybe public affairs doesn't do this kind of thing. And, you know. Yeah, it's a ahead. fair question. Um, briefly, I know we're short on time. I'd say no, that we're good. Some, some view public affairs as, you know, naive, simplistic. You know, the doctrine of... Mm timely, truthful, accurate information. Well, guess what? We share that with the free press, and that's not a simple, simplistic or easy doctrine. But there is a tendency not to recognize the strategic value of, of public affairs. And, and we talked about public trust as just, as just uh, one, one example. Uh, just touching on a couple of the comments that other people have, have uh, talked about, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the mistake you make is that you become the story instead of telling the story. And that's kind of what's happened here with public affairs, right? Is they became the story. They should be the ones uh, telling telling uh, uh, the story. And the other thing is, in terms of our relationship with with the the, the media and journalists, um, it tends to become personal. You know, people start pointing fingers at at particular journalists, and that's a mistake. I look at it from you know the Don Corleone thing. You know, it's 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 business. It's not personal. And uh, I, I truly believe in the institution of the press. So when a defense reporter, and we tend to do this, we tend to isolate a, a certain defense reporter and blame them. Well, guess what? That defense reporter has the backing of the institution of the press, the backing of the Ottawa Citizen, the backing of CBC News, the backing of the New York Times. It's just not some individual that's out there. And we make that mistake and we make it personal and, and we shouldn't. We should respect it. And of all the organizations in Canada that should be promoting you know our 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 charter of freedom and freedom uh, freedom and rights, which includes freedom of the press. It it probably should be the armed forces. David, uh, this all falls under uh, 
John Vance's uh, leadership, and obviously he's retiring or announced his retirement in July. I just wonder, how does this impact his reputation? I don't think it's going to impact it very much because it comes, uh, as, you, as you were saying, pretty well at the end of his career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a million dollars is a lot to me, I can tell you that. It's not a lot to the defense budget. Uh, every, every now and then, uh, the best of us have ideas that, are, that we should probably keep inside our head. Um, and uh, I've got a lot of respect for John Vance, and I, I think that, uh, you know, maybe this is just one of those areas where uh, somebody just goes off the, 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 uh, the playing field uh, and uh, probably should have thought twice about it. And uh, I don't, you know, I, I, I just don't think it's going to impact him. He made his reputation in Afghanistan, and it was well made. I I uh, just uh, just uh, following up on on protocol would would because it seemed that the defense minister was a little in the dark about the what was going on. Would there not been more communication between the two? Well, you would have thought so. I mean, uh, because the the CDS is the uh, is the chief military advisor to the minister of national defense and the prime minister, most especially the prime minister. But of course, the MND is part of that. And uh, so uh, if there was a miscommunication in there, it's hard to see why it would have happened because the lines of communication are usually pretty well drawn at, the, at those top levels. You know, Emma, you, you, you made this, uh, the discovery and, uh, well, the Canadian military is cleaning up after it now. But I, I'm wondering, you, you, a couple of times you mentioned democracies, you know, being targeted, democracies being targeted. Who has got it right right now in terms of, of what we're dealing with here? Um, I don't know. I think a lot of governments are struggling. Um, I wouldn't say anyone has particularly got it right. Um, uh, I would say that um, perhaps strategic communication is being done more effectively in um, in other places, but um, that doesn't mean that there is anybody who doesn't have occasional issues when it comes to, um, you know, things that weren't yeah. the, perhaps the best strategy at the, at the time. Um, and, and I would say I could point to various different scandals in the United States and the UK, which are my two main mm-hmm. uh, specializations. Um, but, you know, I mean, I would say that they do have more developed doctrine when it comes to this area. And I think that's really important. Um, what you need is to, you know, have it clearly laid down, um, you know, what the protocol and processes are that um, different, you know, actors um, working in the information space need to be following and how they are interrelated and are supposed to be working together or, or, or not together, you know, um, and, and who should be responding in what way. Um, so you, you need this to be very, very clearly uh, drawn out. And that is not the case at the moment. I mean, the draft um, policies that I've seen um, were very concerning to me, and they really were not clear. And um, how officers would would be expected to follow this and to know, you know, to be expected to be doing everything right would be, you know, beyond me. I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it really was quite poor. So um, I I think you know this needs to go back to the drawing board. Um, but uh, I, I think actually all countries are struggling to respond to these disinformation threats. And that's not a small challenge. Um, I think how we move forward, though, isn't just about military responses. And I think that's really important to say that, yes, um, the military needs needs to be thinking about this very carefully and planning, like, like Marcus said, 
Um, but there are a lot of different actors that can be, you know, brought to bear on the domestic um, disinformation and, you know, um, uh, you know, sort of civil society, civil society responses like, you know, Marcus's initiative um, are really important as well. Um, so we, we need to not just think of this as a military problem. Um, actually, it's That's not correct. just that a whole of government yeah. issue. It's a whole of society problem that we yes. all need to be thinking right. about. Marcus, the one thing when I when I read this story, I ran it over, the first thing, and it's still the last thing that's gone through my head, is credibility. How can the Canadian forces have any credibility knowing that there's a report out there that said they've obviously wanted to learn how to use propaganda on the people? Well, it's, it's going to take some time to repair that credibility. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I also do think that they, they, can, they can repair this. This is, you know, I think we need to take all of this with a grain of salt. Um, you know, I think there, there are facts floating out there. And, and what we need to do is, is have a proper investigation into this, uh, into the situation. Who, what was that training about? Who did it affect? Um, I know there was this, there was this story about uh, um, a, an exercise in, in Nova Scotia. I think that's sort of, that seems to be a sidebar to all of this. Yeah. Um, you know, it, I think we can, it's fairly safe to say that it was probably a, a psychological operations training uh, operation with some very effective props. Some of them got leaked out into the public. I'm not sure that they were really going to scare an entire town into thinking that there were, there's a pack of wolves coming to take their babies. Um, but this uh, the, the situation in with regards to um, to using propaganda to influence our own people, I mean, this is this is something we need to look into. You know, Parliament could might consider the uh, Standing Committee on National Defence might look into this. And and there are there are positives uh, that uh, that can come out of this. We can maybe look at a proper strategic communications plan. Um, how investigate how the armed forces are looking at and how they're. Um, they're addressing the threat of foreign disinformation. You know, these, these are the sorts of things that we, we need to start doing. Um, and certainly an investigation is warranted into this. Uh, David, and, and just looking at this, was just to wind up the credibility, how can the, uh, the, the forces get their credibility back? Well, I don't think the forces have lost their credibility. I mean, this is, this is clearly a speed bump. Uh, and I think they've got to get over it. I think uh, the reaction has been so negative to this that uh, uh, somebody there is going to think twice, if not John Vance before he leaves or whoever his successor is. So, uh, you know, I think things will calm down. And uh, basically, the Canadians do have a lot of trust in their military. Um, They don't want to spend a lot of money on their military, but they do trust their military. So uh, I think I think this will go away pretty quick, pretty quickly. But then again, you know, I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on Facebook deliberately. And uh, so uh, what goes on in the social media goes right over my head and I sleep well every night. I was going to say you must sleep well at night. Uh, (laughs) Folks, I want to thank you all for joining this very interesting conversation. Our guests tonight on Published TV, Emma Bryant, Visiting Research Associate at Human Rights at Bard College. David Berkison, Professor of Military Diplomatic History, the University of Calgary. Marcus Kolga, Senior Fellow at the McDonald-Laurier Institute and the founder of DisinfoWatch. And Dave 
Scanlon also joining us, 30 years public affairs with the Canadian military, retired Navy. Coming up on the next Unpublished Ottawa, we have two vaccines with reportedly 90% efficacy. Have we turned the corner in the pandemic? Thanks for watching Unpublished TV. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.